Chapter Eleven, Sections Two and Three of J. B. Burry's *The Student's Roman Empire*, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kalinda. *The Student's Roman Empire*, Part One, by John Bagnell Burry. Chapter Eleven. Literature of the Augustan Age. Sections 2 and 3 Latin Prose Writers The History of Rome by Titus Livius, 59 B.C. to 17 A.D., stands out as the greatest prose work of the Augustan period. Livy was born at Patavium, and a certain patavinity has been remarked in his diction. But most of his life was spent at Rome, where he studied rhetoric, wrote philosophical dialogues, and enjoyed the friendship of Augustus. He began his history, Ab Urbe Condita Libri was the title, soon after the foundation of the empire, and carried it down as far as the death of Drusus, 9 B.C. The work consisted of 142 books in all, originally distributed in decades and half-decades, which appeared separately according as they were completed. But only thirty-five books have been preserved to us, namely books one to ten, and books twenty-one to forty-five. We have, however, short epitomes of the contents of almost all the lost books. Livy was a mild and amiable man, who held no extreme views, liked compromise and conciliation, hated violence and turbulence, and could be indulgent to men of all parties. This fair and equable temper can be traced in his history, the one thing which is unpardonable in his eyes is harsh fanaticism. Ancient Rome is his ideal, and he regards his own age as degenerate, destitute of the virtues, simplicity, and piety which made the old time so great. His heroes are Cincinnatus, Camillus, Fabius the Delaire. The general view of the course of Roman history he states in strong language in the general preface to his work. He invites his readers to learn by what men and by what policy at home and abroad the empire of Rome was won and increased, then to follow the gradual decline of discipline and morals, then witness that decline becoming more and more marked, and ending in a headlong downward rush, until his own times are reached, in which we cannot endure our vices nor submit to remedies. We cannot doubt his honesty as a historian, but his views of writing history were such that his statements must often be received with caution. For though he wished to tell the truth, he cared much more for style than for facts. He had little idea of historical method or of historical research. He gave himself no trouble to ascertain the truth in doubtful cases. For the early history he simply worked up into an artistic form the narratives of Polybius and of late Roman analysts, especially Valerius of Antium, and did not exert himself to consult all the available sources, or even the best. His knowledge of constitutional matters was unsound, nor was he at home in military history. He approached his subject rather as a rhetorician than as a historian, and as a literary work his history takes rank among the great histories of the world. His style was prolix. Ancient critics observed that he used more words than were necessary, and his abundance, lactea ubertas, was contrasted with the conciseness of Sallust. Pompeius Trogus wrote a universal history in forty-four books, beginning with the Assyrian Ninus and ending with his own time, 
It was entitled Historiae Philippicae. The original work has not come down to us, but in a later age it was abbreviated by a certain Justinus, and this abridgment is extant. Other historians of the Augustan period were L. Aruntius, who wrote an account of the Punic War in the style of Sallust, and Fenestella, an antiquarian, who, in his Annales, paid special attention to social and constitutional history. C. Julius Hyginus, a freedman of Augustus and a librarian of the Palatine Library, was an interesting figure in the literary history of his time. He may be regarded as the successor of Varro, as an antiquarian and polymath. He wrote on the cities of Italy, De situ urbium italicarum, on illustrious Romans, De viris claris, on agriculture, also a commentary on Virgil. All these books are lost, but a mythological fabulae and an astronomical work have come down under his name, and perhaps are really his. Of other antiquarians, many of whose names we know, must be mentioned M. Varius Flaccus, who wrote a book on the calendar, Fasti, and an important lexicographical work entitled De Verborum Significatu. Most valuable, as the only work of the kind that has been preserved, is the treatise of Vitruvius Polio, De Architectura, in ten books. It was dedicated to Augustus and finished before 13 B.C. Of the many philosophers, rhetors, and orators who talked and wrote at this period, there is none of any interest to posterity. Among philosophical writers may be mentioned Q. Sextius Niger, and his son of the same name. Among the rhetors, M. Porcius Latro, of whose declamations some extracts are preserved, and among orators, the fluent Haterius, the rabid Lebienus, the biting Cassius Severus. The two great jurists of the Augustan age were M. Antistius Labeo, 59 B.C. to 12 A.D., and his younger rival, C. Ateus Capito, 34 B.C. to 22 A.D., who founded schools afterwards, known as the Proculian and Sabinian, respectively. Section 3. Greek Literature from the year 146 B.C. forward, Greek literature begins to hold a place in Roman history along with the advance of Roman sway over the Greek world. By the time of Augustus, nearly all the Greeks of Europe, Asia, and Egypt have become either immediate or federate subjects of Rome. Their literature, therefore, on this grounds, claims the attention of the student of Roman history, but still more because many Greek writers busied themselves with the history and antiquities of their new mistress. Polybius is the first and most famous example of a Greek writing Roman history, but under the empire Greek books on Roman subjects are numerous. Dionysus of Halicarnassus came to Rome soon after the Battle of Actium, and lived there for more than twenty years, studying Latin literature and writing in his own language on Latin subjects. While he was at Rome he associated with men of the senatorial class, and his writings are animated with republican sentiments. He continued the work of Polybius in endeavoring to reconcile his countrymen to Roman sway. Polybius had expounded the role which Rome was destined to play in history. Dionysius is concerned to show that she was worthy to play it. In his work on Roman archaeology, which he finished in 8 B.C., he seems to prove, by tracing out mythical connection between Rome and Greece, that the Romans were not really barbarians. It was a mark of gratitude for the kind treatment which he experienced at Rome. This work consisted of twenty books, but only the first eleven are preserved entire. The style is wordy and rhetorical, very unlike that of Polybius. 
He used good sources, but he has no appreciation of the meaning or methods of history. He even puts long rhetorical speeches into the mouths of legendary persons. He defines history as philosophy by examples. In questions of literary criticism, however, he is quite at home, and his various literary treatises, in which he shows thorough appreciation of the old masters, are of considerable value. More interesting in some ways than the literary treatise of Dionysius is that of a certain Longinus, of whom personally nothing is known. On the sublime, or more correctly, on loftiness of style, which seems to have been written in the early years of the first century A.D. It contains much enlightened and suggestive criticism. The author had some acquaintance with the Hebrew scriptures. Nicolaus of Damascus, born about 64 B.C., was a great friend of King Herod, whom he assisted in his work of Hellenism. He had been the teacher of the children of Antony and Cleopatra. He was a very prolific author, and wrote on philosophical, rhetorical, and historical subjects. His greatest work was a universal history, planned on a very large scale, which Herod stimulated him to compose. Of it we have only fragments, but his panegyrical life of Caesar, Augustus, a declamatory rather than historical work, has come down to us complete. The long Geographica of Strabo, 63 B.C. to 23 A.D., in seventeen books, is of great historical importance as giving a picture of some of the subject lands of Rome in the Augustan age. Strabo was of a good Cappadocian family, a native of Amazea, and lived at Alexandria. He came to Rome about the same time as Dionysius, but soon left it. He describes the whole known world, but in many cases his information was mainly derived from older books, and cannot be taken as representing the condition of things which prevailed in his own time. Books one and two deal with physical geography. Books three to ten describe Europe. Books eleven to sixteen, Asia. Books seventeen, Africa. His accounts of Asia Minor and Egypt are especially valuable, as he knew these lands himself, and mentions many of his own experiences. His description of Spain is also valuable, for though he had not been there, he had evidently received recent information about it, probably at Rome. From Strabo's work we get a very distinct impression of the blessings of the Pax Augusta, and the safety which travelers now enjoyed both by sea and land. He also wrote a work entitled Historical Memoirs, in over forty books, but it has not been preserved. End of chapter 11, section 3 Recording by Kalinda in Lüneburg, Germany, on March 4, 2009.